and welcome to the Trash Tapes podcast as part of the Enigmatic Productions Network. If you love bad cinema and incredible deep dives into cult film, then you have come to the right place. So if you like what you hear and want to support us, you can do so by donating some funds to our Buy Me A Coffee website, along with the ACAR supporter feature. All of these can be found in the description below. And now, on with the show. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Greetings everyone, happy Halloween, ghosts and ghouls, and welcome to, well, what might be the final season of Trash Tapes as we know it. I'm Johan, your host and the lover of melodrama, and I wanted to introduce this special episode to sort of explain what's been happening with myself and with the podcast. As you probably already noticed, there was a bit of a gap between the last episode and now. In fact, you probably noticed there's been quite a few gaps throughout the five years of doing this. And so, after some honest soul searching during this mini hiatus, I have decided that this will officially be the end of the Trash Tapes podcast. I've been doing this now for well over five years, but it's now time, it's probably best that we finally put up my put up the boots and lay it to rest. Okay, 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 I might be a little bit dramatic here, but point being is this will no longer be my podcast outlet anymore. At least not this one. As you may or may not know, I'm the only person on the team that work on the podcast in the sense of it being mostly edited, researched, recorded and promoted by myself with my partner in crime, Edward Harvey, helping wherever he can, whether it is making thumbnails or whether it is uh, putting things on Instagram or finding the sound bites for me. But overall, this was always and kind of has been a one-man show. I mean, we started this off very strong at the beginning, uh, with Trolls Who being our first episode and going in strong for the first season. But as the years went by, so much has changed, both with the format of the podcast itself and with our own lives. Uh, From mental health issues, the pandemic, financial troubles, job responsibilities, and to even different life goals, this podcast as we know it is no longer me. It is not as fun to do anymore. This podcast has never reached a level of profit where I could extend it to be a part-time job, or really excelled for it to be a future business. It could never really be a part of me, and slowly but surely this podcast became more of a chore than it ever was being fun. But I do not want to just leave it there. I always feel like after doing this for so long that it needs to be celebrated. And so what you will be hearing from now until the next three or four months or so will be a combination of 
a lot of backlogged episodes I have done recording and a few freshly made episodes to finally give this podcast the send-off it deserves. Do not worry though, this podcast will stay up as a means of preserving it. This will not be deleted. I have always enjoyed my time with the trash tapes and I'm very proud of what I have done with it. It's been a journey and I want this memory to stay up for everyone to listen to. That isn't to say that I'm no longer going to be podcasting anymore or not working with Enigmatic. That's far from it. When it comes to videos, I'll always be up for joining Ed and making content when and wherever possible. That will never go away. We've been doing that for way too long. But there will hopefully be a new monthly podcast coming from the ashes of this one. It will be a film talk podcast called The Forgotten Reel, where we'll be just talking about a cult film that time may have forgotten about with very little gimmicks or whistles, just banter and insight. That will hopefully kick off in early 2023, and will and I will keep you all informed for on its first episode on all social platforms. And with that as well, if you're still wanting bad cinema chat, I will now be joining the boys at the Knots Bad Film Club on their monthly podcast slash radio show discussing the films that they have got on screen or torture the public with, per se. So stay tuned to that. And speaking of screenings, uh, what emerged from the trash tapes that I've honestly loved are the connections I've made along the way, whether it's with filmmakers, fans, people in the bad movie industry, but also with, like, cinemas, such as the Quad and Derby, I mean, before the pandemic kicked in, we planned on doing bad movie screenings there every two months, and we did for a little while. We did Miami Connection, we did Troll 2, we also did uh, Spookies for a little while, uh, for, on an online thing, but we also wanted to do more. We wanted to do things like Barbed Wire, for example, we wanted to do The Room, we wanted to do so many more, and that came to a halt. But now that things are slowly coming back together, we're, it's coming back now as the Cult Film Club. And starting on November the 12th with the screening of Pink Flamingos. It's, it's so exciting that we're finally going to get some cult cinema like this. I'm so, so honoured that they're willing to give this a shot. It will be a blast and I would love it if all of you could attend if you're based in the local area. Links to buy tickets and to join our CFC Facebook group, as well as all other social medias can be found in the description below. And so, enough about the update. It is time to go back through the catalogue. And this episode was originally supposed to be part two of our Pride Month special. Clearly that didn't happen. It was such a fun time, and so we'll, so I will no longer let it be hidden from the world. I know it isn't a spooky film, which would be more apt for the Halloween season, but for some people, this is a bona fide horror movie. So, get your wire hangers ready, as we will be diving in face mask first into this autobiographical camp classic, Mummy Dearest.
Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Trash Tapes of One Man's Trash, Another Man's Treasure. I'm your host, Johan Chapal, your host and the inflictor of pain. Just brought in my regular victim and DJ, Edward Harvey. Hi! Hi, how you doing? Nice to see you again. Nice to see you. To see you! <laughs> Thank you. I always love that. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't used it for a while, I thought I'd pop it in. It's been a, it's oh, been a little while, so I thought that was appropriate. It is appropriate, I think, because honestly, I need a friendly face after the movie we've been, we're about to talk about today, because God almighty, what a banger of a movie we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll just say going in, I didn't really know much about this movie. I actually thought, I didn't even know it was like uh, sort of about Joan Crawford, I th- I, because of the cult status of it and the imagery I'd mm. seen, I thought it was like a cult horror film, like a cult, like <laughs> and I, maybe I was in my mind getting mixed up with Mo, uh, with Dolly Dearest because that's another one we've done on the show. Oh, we did that one on the show, though, didn't we? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's been famed for being. It, some people could call it a horror movie. I would not be surprised. And some people will call it, and as I quote, I'll quote: "It's been called." The fucking Citizen Kane of camp. Yes. So. Definitely. I'll agree with that. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, hide your wire hangers because we're about to do one of the big grand happies of all trash cinema. We're doing Mummy Dearest. Damn it. Yeah. To a truly great lady, Miss Joan Crawford. You know what's missing in my life? Come on, you've got everything you want. No, I don't. I want a baby. Out of the question. Don't you dare judge me. We have a moral and legal responsibility. And what you're really doing is denying one of your children the opportunity to live a wonderful and advantaged life. You're a lucky little girl and very expensive. It cost me a lot of favors. Christina, darling, I'm going to make a perfect life for you. Mommy, dearest. When I asked you to call me that, I wanted you to mean it. Joan Crawford. The most dramatic role of her life was her life. Frank Yablons presents Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford in Mommy, Dearest. Oh, my God. I don't believe uh, we're finally doing this one um, because I've been telling you for a while we kind of need to do this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is like one of our this is a biggie, isn't it? It's almost like we would do this on like an anniversary episode or something. We would do. But I just thought to myself, because it's basically as of time of recording, it's still it's still Pride Month. Yeah. And we're, uh, and when when it comes out, hopefully it will still be Pride Month. <laughs> no. But point being is, is that. I thought to myself, we need, I want to do something a bit special. I did obviously did the, the, the Xanadu, the Xanadu episode with the, their queer podcast, yeah. which is, uh, that was the f- so funny. I couldn't keep my, yeah. I couldn't keep a straight face. <laughs> um, but I thought to myself, you know what? I didn't want to leave you out of it. Mm. And I said, you know what? I didn't, I didn't want to leave you out of it. So I thought, why not show you what's considered one of the campiest movies of all time? And so, this is where I've gone to Mummy Dearest. So 
you you said before we did the recording that this you had very little knowledge of this movie yeah i i've just literally seen there's a lot of um obviously you can't if you like if you're into cult films you can't avoid mm. like gifts for like the wire hang no wire hangers and stuff like that they just they just appear, mm. they just pop up but there's like uh, there's um a site that often like makes gifts that are like they often do like horror films and they mm. but they also did gifts for mommy dearest so i assumed it was like for a cult horror film like some yeah. kind of cult horror film about an abusive mother like that's what i thought it was and it's not uh, far from that to be honest <laughs> it's, it's so weird isn't it to think like you're not wrong it can be seen as a horror movie for some people, 100%, this could be totally seen as a horror movie. But it has, basically, it's a movie that has literally, to my mind, has just gotten a life of its own. It has departed from many ways from what the original intention of the movie was and turned into something completely different. Yeah, with the, um, it's, it's like extreme accidental comedy, isn't it? It's, it's... Extreme is not even the word here. <laughs> like, it's, it, it's fascinatingly scary almost how the the movie can literally flip on a dime like literally i've never seen a movie just go from something quite serious and surprisingly engrossing to the most insane batshit crazy performance you'd ever see sometimes even within the same scene sometimes even within the same speech <laughs> oh yeah for sure and it was weird as well where the once the studio knew what was the kind of going on with this they changed the marketing slightly didn't they to like fit in with the whole comedy yes. and I, on the poster, I think it said something like the biggest mother of them all or something like that. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, basically just to kind of clarify a little bit, just a little fill in a little bit. So mommy dearest is for those who have no idea about it. Mommy dearest is a 1981 American biographical psychological drama directed by Frank Perry, which happens to be based off a book by Christina Crawford, the adopted daughter of uh, Joan Crawford. And it was a memoir, basically, of how secretly, how horribly abusive of a mother, manipulative a mother, Joan Crawford was. Um, and then, so you, just from the tone alone, you're thinking, oh, God, it's a movie about child abuse, right? It's supposed to be quite harrowing and quite scary. There has been loads of people trying to, and but loads of people were trying to come in to make the movie, which we're going to go through as we talk about the production. And then it's kind of skewered to the point when people, all the bad reviews start to happen, people were starting to laugh at it. And then, and this is one of my favorite bits about this, is people were already starting to do, after a month of this was being released, people were actively starting to come in uh coming into these movies like uh like like, like almost like a frankie sort of like a rocky horror picture show thing yeah they were coming in with wire hangers coming in with face with 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 stuff all over their face with talcum powder with they were they were all in on it and they would do it they were like whoa so it changed ad the, the advertising from being literally like this is faye dunaway joan crawford this is the role of her life to look at this crazy bitch 
basically. I also heard that some screenings even have like people with sort of Christina kind of dolls and they hit them yes. with wire hangers. <laughs> it's like crazy. Yes, I'm not joking. It's full-blown participatory theatre. It's like what you do now with things like Rocky Horror Picture Show, The Room, things like that. It became its own thing. And this is partly the reason why we're doing it for Pride Month, because this is clearly part of the reason, several reasons why it's become very big in the LGBTQ plus community, particularly with drag queens, because drag queens particularly loved this performance. And most drag queens have now even claimed it was the first ever on-screen drag queen performance done by a woman, basically. Yeah. It was this, it, they fell in love with the campiness. Also during that time, you know, uh, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of queer people and drag queens are always falling or were always in love with like these starlets of Hollywood era. Joan Crawford in particular, in fact, has been told that Joan Crawford's fan base, especially in like the later years, were mostly gay men. Mm. So, it, so this was almost like a shoo-in for the gay market. We can talk about the whole movie, but I don't think we're going to do it by plot. We are going to talk about the more, probably for me, the more interesting aspects of the movie, which is the entire production behind this movie. Yeah. And what the fuck happened there? Had lots of writers, didn't it? That's always a bad sign. Many writers. <laughs> I think I, 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 we've learned this from before doing this for I don't know how many years now. Whenever there are too many writers, you know there's a problem. Mm. So the central role of Joan Crawford wasn't originally going to go to Faye Dunaway. It was going to be run by uh, by by Anne Bancroft originally. Mm. When it was going to be also done by uh, it was also going to be directed by Franco uh, Zaffarelli, and it was going to be written and it was going to be adapted by James Kirkwood, and and even at some point Mira Farrow was going to be involved in all this. There was a lot here, right? But the problem was that everyone eventually quit because they just couldn't find out how to do this because the book itself was was both praised and criticized. Um, do you know much? Uh, I, I never, unfortunately, I, ha I haven't read the book. And I don't think you might have well, heard of it either. No, from, from what I imagine, what, from what I've heard, uh, it's more from obviously Christina's perspective, the book is. Mm. And But when you make a movie, you have to make a movie about the star, really. And Joan Crawford's the, you know, the, the uh, Hollywood starlet kind of thing. So I, I suppose you, you mm. have the focal point as Joan Crawford, but Christina um, hated the fact that that was the focus in the movie. I think that, that's the most, that's the thing she was the most angry about. I think. Uh, yeah. Well, she, she was angry about a lot of things, yeah. but that was definitely the part she was angry about. It's a book from the perspective of, a, of, 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 of an abuse of, of the one being abused, yes. the victim. Yeah. But it's looking it through the eyes, not of Christina, but of Joan Crawford, the abuser. And the book itself was both praised and criticized. It was praised for being bold and honest, right? But a lot of people criticized it for literally just being a laundry list of things that happened instead of really trying to, I, I assume people wanted to read it, wanted to, wanted, was, was wanting like a full psychoanalysis on Joan Crawford, yeah. basically. They wanted to say like, why is she doing this? What is the case? It, many years later now, yes, as people who've come out and sort of said, yeah, this is probably the reason why she behaved in this manner, blah, blah, blah. But the book was like, she did this to me. She did this to me. The, like she did a revenge piece kind of thing, you think? 
Well, well, do you know the reason why it's a revenge piece? Oh, it is a revenge like piece. It, well, in the movie, there's the whole way it ends where... Well, yeah. well, I suppose you can talk about the end because people will have seen this well, film. If well, but here's the thing, though. It, 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 obviously, the thing, obviously, the, that, that was not really in... I'm not, I'm not sure if that part was in the book, but basically, Joan Crawford had the final say, the cow, apparently, yeah. by literally not putting... Christina and the and and the other adopted son Christopher into the will, yeah, and not gave her. Then I didn't give them a goddamn cent, and so because of that, I'm assuming that's why the book was written. I think, yeah, it sort of points towards that in the movie. I think as well, like it lingers on it Christina, does. like has she had the last say, kind of thing. Has she? <laughs> and to be honest, I found that hilarious because it's like saying because Christopher just turns to her and goes like. I think she always wanted the last laugh and, you know, she always had the last say and she goes like, really, really? And she keeps looking off camera, but we kind of suspect she just wants to look into the camera going, have you read the book? I know, and if she was that angry and she was, you know, abused and stuff, she's not going to put, she's not going to exactly portray a mother in a sympathetic light at any point, is she? So it's it's definitely going to be one-sided. It's my intention to make no provision herein for my son, Christopher, my daughter, Christina, for reasons which are well known to them. What reasons? <laughs> Jesus Christ. As usual, she has the last word. Does she? Um, I mean, I think that's the thing is because there, are, there were other sort of biographies around Joan Crawford near near and around her death that were wouldn't I wouldn't say sympathetic to her either, but they didn't. But they were more like you know they were trying to put reasoning behind things, I guess. Which I think, like in a weird way, that's what people want in their characters. Does that make sense? As a character, you want some to some degree, you want some reasoning behind why they do certain things. Oh, yeah. There's, and, in the movie, there is no motive. It's like Michael Myers. <laughs> my God. It's like literally snaps on a dime. And I've never seen something cook crazy in my life. <laughs> so the book comes out. Mm. Huge, but the thing is, even though it was literally saying like, oh, this is just a hit piece or whatever it is, it was a huge success. And so um, the producer, uh, Frank uh, Frankie Abbins, basically said... Basically, before even the book came out, they heard the thing was going to happen, put $50,000 for the film rights right there and then. Like, I'll buy the rights off you right now. Right. Wow. So Frank Gabbins, as a producer, has been trying so very hard to try and sort of um, make this movie and really try to hammer it around town, which is why you got things like, you know, and Bancroft is going to be Mira Farrow. There's going to be quite a few people. Until stumbles across Faye Dunaway. I think even Sigourney Weaver was approached yes. as well, or considered at least. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver was considered at one point. It's like they're gonna most of these people are gonna be thinking, "Oh, dodged a bullet, aren't they?" <laughs> well, that's the thing. They did uh, a lot. A lot of uh, the agents of Faye Dunaway actually thought that this was going to be a bad idea. Yeah, but she's but Faye Dunaway 
at the time, saw a lot of herself in Joan Crawford. Not like in the, you know, crazy, but more, but in the other way, which is what I think the movie was battling across. Rags to riches story kind of thing, yeah. Exactly. Mm. And so Faye Dunaway said, I see myself with this. So she almost said like to herself, like, I want this to happen. So when she was being asked for an audition, and I adore this idea, she actually got up extra early in the morning Put on, did did her makeup and dressed up exactly like Joan Crawford. Went to the producer's house, knocked on the door, and introduced herself as Joan Crawford. She instantly got the job from there. Yeah, I can imagine. So this already screams, Faye Dunaway really wants this role because she almost sees it as the ultimate embodiment of herself. Like she said, like, this is me. This is the dream role. This is going to be, this is going to get me the second Oscar. You know, it's, this is the one. And she's quite method, isn't she? So that's quite dangerous. Sometimes you can actually become the role, can't you? And that's the, and the, and that's the reason why there's been some very famous horror stories of Faye Dunaway on that movie. Mm. She became incredibly method to the point that she actually said, and I quote, it was the most, that this role was perhaps the most difficult role, screen role at the time she's ever done because of the emotional highs demanded for the part. She basically became emotionally, mentally, and physically drained throughout the movie and even hurt herself physically several times by being too involved, basically. Wow. Um, <laughs> like, she she went full method, mm. basically. She went full Joan. <laughs> full full method and just got too entrenched. To, cause some of the, because cause all, all the stories say, for example, they basically said that there's been told that she is, was very difficult to work on set. The method approach seemed to almost absorb her and make her difficult for the cast and crew to talk to her as Faye Dunaway and not this aberration of what would have been Joan Crawford because it's it's not really Joan Crawford, isn't it? Like you, I don't imagine Joan Crawford was ever like this. I mean, it's a caricature, <laughs> isn't it? It's a pure character. So yeah. basically what happened here is she had been absorbed by... I don't know. It's like she's been possessed by a demon, basically. Yeah, but I mean, wasn't Faye as well, like, sort of almost believing the hype of being Joan Crawford as well? Like, she was demanding more, like, screen time and stuff like that. Like, she's always sort of, well, in, in, in like, almost trying to be the director of it, in a way. She was already renowned to be a little bit difficult. I mean, she was fa- she was told she was difficult during network. Uh, recently, in the other, ep- in the recent episode, I launched out for Not So Trash Reviews, in terms of In the Eyes of Laura Mars, mm. she was also claimed to be a little difficult on set. So she was already difficult. Right. But now imagine her being completely possessed by Joan Crawford. That's just next level, isn't Another it? Another <laughs> woman who is who is famous for literally like manipulating everything in to make her look good. There were moments in things like whatever happened to Baby Jane where they it's great if, if anyone has not seen that movie watch it. It's magnificent. But apparently she also said and I quote I only want to be filmed from a certain side. It makes me look younger. <laughs> so it's like caked with makeup, like to make her look incredibly young, younger than she had any right to be at the time and saying like, no, I want to be filmed this way or this way. Or she would, or she, or she, or she would rewrite the line to make it suitable for her. So she was the first kind of like, you know, we all know about movie divas, but she was like queen movie diva. So put that 
<laughs> with someone who's already quite difficult to work on set. Have them combine like some kind of megazord. <laughs> God, it's just it's just amazing. There are there are times where she looks like she's transforming into a megazord as well. She looked as well. That's uh, the way she transformed was terrifying. There's a bit that I can't wait to talk about where she says she's almost like she's charged up for a special move or something like Blanca. It's fucking brilliant. It's fucking brilliant. But that's the thing is she's become so absorbed, right? Every and, and these are quotes from people on the set, apparently. Apparently people despised Faye Dunaway because she was rude to people. Everyone was on pins and needles when she worked and, and relaxed when she wasn't on set. She would there were, and there also there were moments where she demanded more screen time for certain things because she felt that was good, that was better for the case. Apparently, they also claimed that she also asked directors and certain things to make other people, and I quote this, make them look plainer and simpler so it doesn't outshine her. Okay. Jesus Christ. She, d- yeah, literally, date done away was out of control. She was completely out of control on set. Um, to the point also, she was also famously tardy. Just like Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford was also someone who was famously tardy on set. She, which would help, like the show would be held up. For, I don't know what, this is the thing that's scary. Is this just actually Faye Dunaway? Or is this her going full method? Wow. Where does this blur? I think it's a, a, a lethal combination of the two. Yeah. Um, do you think she was worse than Cobra? I like Stallone. I keep bringing up Stallone in Cobra every time. But, but he is meant to he was meant to be like really tardy, wasn't he? He was very tardy. Oh. He missed full scenes because he was just doing stuff with his buddies. But I think there's a difference here. I think I think Stallone was just ego. Yeah. Right? Stallone was ego mm. because he was literally the biggest action star ever at the time, right? Big, 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 right? But with but this, they did have the blinded by Joan Crawford ego kind of thing going on, didn't she? I I think basically it's method acting ego. Yeah. The ego, the ego that she already knows of Faye Dunaway is already a great actress because she just got she's just got the Oscar. Uh, she got the Oscar for Network. She's been trying to get the second Oscar ever since, basically, and she's been doing for that. Then she goes method. She goes method who's someone who's famously this way. She becomes so absorbed that she becomes literally this literal monster on set and becomes incredibly difficult. Um, and so that brings a whole different tear. And a very famous story was that the director was not just fighting Faye Dunaway mm. <laughs> on set, but also was fighting two co-producers at the time who were Christina's husband, uh, David David Kuntz, right? Who was the executive producer credit because basically as to represent Christina because Christina wasn't on set at all for any of the filming. Mm. And then Faye Dunaway's like, like a fiance turn, going to turn husband, Terry O'Neill. So basically you've got Faye Dunaway's husband, and then you've got, uh, and then you've got Christina Crawford's husband, both saying to the director certain things. Like, for example, uh, so basically, like uh, uh, David would go and say, Christina wants Joan Crawford to look like an actual monster. Like, she, we have to really show that this is child abuse and yeah. seriously. While the husband's saying, like, 
well, 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 Faye Dunaway's husband's like, well, we want to show Joan Crawford to be somewhat, we need to show her that she's not just a monster. We have to find the reasoning behind it. So they were both wanting two very different approaches. They were all handsy on the director saying, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. Failed miserably, I think, in balancing this out. And so, and I quote, I think basically he actually said, According to Frank Labins and Frank Perry, uh, Frank Perry, they said, I had two husbands to deal with. David was driving me crazy that Faye was trying to what was trying to sanitize Joan. And Terry worried, and Terry worried that was that, that we were pushing Faye too far and creating a monster. So one was saying, You've got to make her more evil. And the other one was like, don't make him more evil. And- <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the result speaks volumes from that story because it's like, it is just yo-yoing, isn't it, in the movie? You can't, it's, it's not mm. balanced at all. You can't keep up with it. It's going from one thing to the other and it's like, it's sensitive now for a moment. Then it'll go up to level 10 in intensity the next. Sometimes in within the same speech. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's, we'll get to we'll get to one speech in particular. In fact, I'm wondering if you got the sound clip. Actually, if you don't, I'll add it in. But there is one particular part that made me laugh really loudly, and it was a it was it was basically after Joan Crawford has the meeting with the director of MGM, I believe it was right. They're at the dinner party, and he's going out with the like the boyfriend at the time, right? Mm. They have a big conversation, like a bit of a, a bit of like a bickering in the bedroom before he like he walks out and one bit it's, it's, it's like saying she's talking very very quietly it's like you know i'm just sick and tired of all this you know i'm not a floozy to be thrown around with why are you screaming because i'm damn mad <laughs> and it's like from quiet it's like because i'm mad damn it and then just takes a seat and puffs a cigarette away i'm like where did that come from <laughs> So this is where obviously it led to the famous camp performance because I clearly it shows that you've got a director who couldn't handle all the producers and everything else. You've got a method actress who's gone absolutely method insane, doesn't know how to, and doesn't know how to handle her. Um, you've got the re, the thing being rewritten multiple times. And so by the end of it, they just happen to get the movie out. But they generally still thought they had something here. They generally still thought that this was going to be the thing, right? They were generally saying, like, this is going to be an Oscar contender. They genuinely thought this, right? So when they first launched the movie out, it's literally, like I said, it's like, Faye Dunaway is Joan Crawford, mother, lover, all that kind of stuff, mm. right? And it's like saying, like, this is the role of a lifetime. The movie comes out, it becomes, it's horribly panned, which I've got some amazing uh, criticism for it. And then to the point that it becomes a farce. When it becomes a farce, the producer, uh, Frankie Evans, actually tries and successfully sues Paramount for $5 million in damages. Wow. For literally saying like, no, I made a psychological drama. You are promoting it incorrectly. By calling it a comedy, I want damages. Five million dollars is given to him. <laughs> Do you think when uh, when it was being filmed and you're like watching like dailies back and stuff like that? Do you think it yeah. could have been perceived? It could have been looked at as like an Oscar winner at that time, in your opinion? Or do you think it, they would just kind of believe in their own hype kind of thing? I'm. This is what's interesting because I feel like. 
we have seen movies like this before, right? And we've seen big performances before. And sometimes people, I think, generally thought that big performances were, like, big performances equal Oscar bait, right? Like, oh, it's real. It's about child It's about child abuse. It's about Hollywood. It's about, it's you, you've got the biggest actress in the world right now mm. playing the former biggest actress in the world right now. If you really look at it on paper, based off a book that was hugely successful, mm. If you look at the look at it on paper, it is Oscar bait down to a T. Yeah, right. Move, the, the people who love the Oscars love this kind of stuff, right? They love it. But I think they were looking at the Danes. I think they were blinded by the fact that look, I don't think they expected that. Look, Faye Dunaway is renowned, but of course she was so method. She went so big mm. that I don't. I think people saw that going like, we're not going to question her. She's already a, she's already a monster as it is. I can't direct her. <laughs> I know. Sometimes when you, I guess when you're seeing isolated scenes, uh, there's mm. a difference between, it might have seemed like intense acting, but it might have yes. not seen like overacting at the time, you know? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. If, you watch in, if you watch some scenes in isolation, because there are some scenes in this movie that are actually really good. Mm. Like there are some really like emotionally deep scenes like some of them are like genuinely like oh you i've remembered you can act like what happened here yeah so you know some of the producers were looking at this going this is gold this is gonna get us the oscar garen fucking teed and then it happened there so this is what i actually asked so i actually asked around and I asked a few people, mm. uh, some of our, some of my actor friends, to review some of Joan, uh, some of Faye Dunaway's performance in this movie. And I'm, I talked to a few people. Um, I, called, I talked to my friend Stevie Doe. We talked to I talked to Charlie Clark for a little bit, fellow, fellow friend of the show, and Chris Chambers, who was a guest on a previous episode on Zodiac. Yeah. And I t- and so I got some feedback, but I've got Chris's here, and this is what he thinks. He basically believes in a couple of things. He firstly believes that he hasn't seen it in a long time, so he's seeing the clips out of context. I didn't tell him to watch the movie. I told him to see him the show him the clips, right? And so he said to this, like, I guess one of my major problems with Dunaway is during this period, what, what she believed to be big acting was basically constantly bellowing like a banshee. She basically feels like intensity is loud, mm. which I can, this is why I feel like some people might have gone over and said, well, you know, She's just being intense because she's just being loud and screaming and crunching her face up, which is, yeah, I'd see that's fair. Objectively, though, I would say that the problem with Mummy Dearest could be could be pretty much a directorial one. The director seems unprepared to help the actors add texture and, 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 and any kind of variety to the performance. Hard, soft, quiet, loud. There's nothing to build in between. There's no texture. It's just either you are hard or you're soft. You're either loud or you're quiet. There's nothing to build there. It's a possibility that Dunaway was such a star that no one dared to broach the subject of acting and criticize her in any way. And because of the method acting she was gone through and her being a monster and a director who just didn't know how to handle her, I think it was a thing. Because Faye Dunaway actually then says at some point that she blames the director for this, for not directing her right. Yeah, I think he lost total control, didn't he? I think, in my opinion. I don't don't think he... He wasn't really directing it properly, was he? He wasn't really directing, I don't think. <laughs> I think what happened was, it's like they released a monster. They made a monster and just said, I ain't touching that. I know. It is crazy to say like, oh, you're promoting it wrong afterwards. Well, you should have done a better job, job directing it then. 
if that's how it's exactly. come out. <laughs> that's exactly the case. This feels like a director who couldn't handle this kind of movie. The producers, the producers basically bickering and a crazy method actress who couldn't be tamed. Uh, which led to some very, very interesting reviews. I'm sure, I'll, let's read some of these reviews, shall we? So um, basically, according to this, rough, roughly at the time, it was considered a box office flop for the fact that it had a um, it only made $16 million, but the budget was 10, so it didn't make double its money. Mm. So it was considered a flop, right? The reason why it did so well was because of all the midnight screenings afterwards. So that's the reason why it had some fame. Now... Uh, Roger Ebert basically gave it a one-star review and said, I can't imagine who would want to subject themselves to this movie, calling it basically unremittingly depressing, not to any purpose of drama or entertainment. It just depressing me. And it left me feeling very creepy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Do you think at the time, um, a lot of people, especially critics, would understand mm. camp? Good question. Um... I think I think some people would yeah. because it's it was in the it because there had there are famous like campy movies mm. before this right and there are famous campy game shows and TV shows there's loads of stuff that's full of high camp which is with if anyone's not really aware of the term camp it's like basically it's heightened drama where it's taken seriously but so high up that it becomes almost farcical yeah. right so like it's why drag queens love camp because they can then wear the big hair the ridiculous outfits and all that kind of stuff and try and portray themselves as a serious character but in this big over elaborate way. i mean there's lots of ways it can be trained I, I would say that malignant was camp yes so there's lots of different ways it, it a film can be camp but yeah i think yes. this is definitely uh it, it, it might have been not been seen as that by some people they might have not been able to see it that way you know yeah and it's and yeah and i think like the thing is this is a movie that's clearly either been directed as camp but not been but no one on state no one on no one else was told that or and this is my personal opinion i think they they stumbled onto it yeah Oh, definitely. I think well, that they stumble into pure camp. This, if they, were, if I would argue, this was purposely camp. This is secretly the director's secretly a genius, right? Yeah. If they purposely made camp, but it feels like the producer just wanted to make this movie made. I think in any nook or crook, just wanted Oscar bait stuff because mm. that's what that's what they heard. And director just wanted to couldn't just want to make a movie by the sound of things. Um, nothing, something strange about it. Other things, other people, other people have said, for example, a Dunaway does not chew the scenery. Uh, Dunaway starts neat, starts neatly in each corner of the set in every scene and then swallows it whole. There's co-stars and everything. <laughs> wow. That's a, <laughs> I, I would call that a bit harsh, but... <laughs> Oh goodness! There are some positive stuff though. People, some people actually praise Faye Dunaway, saying that it is a terrific Joan Crawford and plays and plays like a limp parody of a bad Crawford film. Which, if any, if you've seen any Joan Crawford films, like especially the later ones in her lifetime when she started doing what's considered to be almost like a subgenre of itself of old lady horror. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I suppose it's difficult to like know r- really who she was like from an outside looking in because you can only see the perception she of how she was in films, can't you? Exactly. Yeah. And 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 the people who only know are people in her circle mm. and so on. Now, what is the thing is we're not belittling anything that Christina Crawford said. It it, it sounds like you know this was she's had some horrible child abuse and a yeah. very manipulative mother, but. This is a thing, though. Um, Christina Crawford actually quoted on what she thought of the movie. And she actually said, and I quote, my mother doesn't deserve that. And this is Chris, this is Christina Crawford talking about her abusive mother. She said, my mother doesn't deserve that. Faye Dunaway's performance was ludicrous. I don't see any care for factual information. Now that I've seen it, I'm sorry I did. I'm sorry I did. Faye says she... But she she was being haunted by my mother's ghost. And after the performance, I can understand why. She basically says that even this, she's like, look, my mother was a manipulative, horrible woman, but she is not this. Mm. It is a real kind of witch character, wasn't it? Like a, it, what, yeah. I, I was, that's why I was saying like, like it, it feels like a horror film, like a, a, like a cult horror comedy kind of weird thing because it's it's very yeah. much like a wicked witch character and and i don't mm. think she was ad- that sort of intense i don't know it's difficult mm. to know i think i think if if, if joan crawford was going to be that i think joan crawford had moments of genuine like sympathy and she i bet you she had some heart because she's in there but this entire movie makes her seem like she's one constantly at odds with her daughter constantly can switch on a dime and i think and this is the thing is i know why apparently there were several scenes that were shot but ultimately cut and all the scenes i'm going to tell you now basically show joan crawford having a little bit of a soul (laughs) all right okay (laughs) so for example um and also showing this idea that Joan Crawford is a strong woman. Like she was basically like, she's a woman that was strong and can do things independently. And a lot like scenes, there's a scene, for example, Joan Crawford was depicting hurting her ankle during the filming of Ice Follies in 1939. And the crew decides, uh, basically wanted to tend for her, but Crawford just gets up on her own. Right. There's a little, and little scenes like that, where it's all like, you know what? It's her trying to maybe explain why she's doing it and saying like, and which by sound of things is like, I want to toughen you up because I had a shit childhood and I came up to be like this. I, if you can survive this, you can survive anything. That is literally all they focus on though. Um, Usually in these, these kind of movies, Mm. they make the audience kind of warm to the antagonist, like in terms of like, they, they show what they've been through in a way. And and, and when you get to that point, it's so much more tragic when you get to the end and you hate them by the end, but it's yeah, like you, it, there's in this film you hate them from, from the you hate Joan Crawford from the beginning all the way from through. Day don't one, you? From moment yeah. one. But the same, well, yeah, you love to hate. It's a weird thing. You love to hate there. The best way to do this is I think we should talk about our favorite moments because we can do the entire plot, but doing the entire plot's almost nonsense because it goes through, like we said, forty years. We yeah. don't need that. And all the, so what I think is what is our, what are our favorite scenes of this movie? And we can try and describe why we like it, why we think it's crazy. What do you think? So, well, my, uh, my clips are actually, they are 
in sequence of the movie, but they're all just my favorite bits in sequence kind of thing. Cool. So let's do let's do that then. Let's go our favorite scenes in sequence, and we go from there. So start off with start off with what you go first, and we go back and forth. Right. So let's start off with um, this clip. I'll play it, and then we'll explain it. Go for it. Caroline, help me with this. When you polish the floor, you have to move the tree. If you can't do something right, don't do it at all. I'm sorry, Miss Crawford. Give me the soap. See, Caroline, you have to stay on top of things every single minute. Caroline, do you get that? Yes, Miss Crawford. I love this. I love the line. It's coming. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the dirt. Yes. (laughs) It's it's a good line. I suppose at that point, you are kind of warmed to her a little bit because you're thinking, well, she's mucking in with the the servants and stuff. She's getting involved and she's making sure it's all right. And she's not just watching them do it. She's actually, you know, doing it herself as well and mucking in there. But... It gets progressively worse, all that cleanliness obsession. And this is the thing, like this is, I mean, there are enough nuggets to assume why she goes cuckoo bananas, right? But you're thinking like, okay, so she likes, so she, so she is someone who is a bit of a clean freak. And we know this from that scene alone. And by the sound of things, I think she's always been that way. She has a very particular thing of cleanliness. I mean, the very opening of the movie is going through the makeup routine, which is she gets up at four in the goddamn morning, literally by the sound of things, burns her face and then puts her face in an ice bath. (laughs) It's almost like a tooled up montage, isn't it? Like getting tooled up. It, it, do you know what's scary though? That sequence reminded me. Do you know what I was watching it? It reminded me of you know you know in American Psycho where, where Christian Bale is going oh, through the, the face mask and like yeah, all so going exactly. through all these different like moisturizers and tonic face tonics and stuff. Then I apply an herb mint facial mask, which I leave on for ten minutes while I prepare the rest of my routine. I always use an aftershave lotion with little or no alcohol because alcohol dries your face out and makes you look older. Then moisturizer, then an anti-aging eye balm followed by a final moisturizing protective lotion. It's that kind of level of like bizarre, right? So it's it already shows that she's somewhat weird and superhuman, right? Because she gets up early in the morning, literally kind of side of things, burns her face with hot water and really stiff soap, dips her head, into the ice and then goes off on set. It's like, it's a long process. And then she has this bit where she's cleaning up in the house. And I still quote to this day, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the dirt. <laughs> and I, I've actually got another clip as well. It's from the same scene. I, I loved yeah. this. You're early. Only an hour and a half. Oh, take your shoes off. I've just washed that floor. Dramatic pause. The dramatic pause. And then... I can handle the socks. The socks. <laughs> it's, the thing is, the pause, she goes, she goes, it's it sort of like she goes into focus, into camera, yes. into a close-up. It lingers on her face for ages and she just says the line, I can handle the socks. Oh, the socks. And I burst out laughing on that because I was like... It, 
I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, what a what an amazing sort of pickup line. Because right afterwards, they just bang in the shower. So <laughs> Greg becomes basically, I believe, husband number three, I think, or at least fling number three in this movie, because we we don't see the other two, because but there's definitely mentioned. And they're all called uncle, aren't they? They're all called uncle, which is <laughs> personally I find that really creepy, by the way. I'm not sure if anyone else. Does not find that creepy? Well, yeah, it's it's kind of weird because that when when you when you're young, you used to have like friends of the family that were called aunties and uncles and stuff. Didn't yeah, you? yeah. Like if you had multiple friends of the families that were close to the family, they were called uncles and aunties. That's weird. It's a bit weird. Not gonna lie. Yeah, and it, it quickly gets on to like the fact that she she gets she develops this obsession with like mm. wanting it wanting a baby, doesn't she? And yes. then immediately she goes tries to do it the traditional way. So I've got a mm. clip from when she's rejected by the adoption office. Yeah. I'm afraid I have some difficult news for you, Miss Crawford. The agency has denied your application for adoption. Why? Well, you live alone. There's no other family member in the home. You have two previous divorces. Mm-hmm. You're a busy, active woman, and the candidate is found to be an unsuitable parent. Unsuitable? Thanks, Miss Crawford. Don't you dare judge me. We have a moral and legal responsibility in this job. Obviously, you don't understand. What you're really doing is denying one of your children the opportunity to live a wonderful and advantaged life. How sad that is. <laughs> I've only just noticed in that scene, because I'm just hearing the audio. Yeah. It sounds like, I don't know whether it is, but it sounds like there's rain and thunder in the background. But I, I hope, <laughs> really hope there is. If, it, be, it would be a moment where she's, it's almost like her dark, evil, witch turn. It's like, how sad are you? You will not let me have a child. <laughs> I know. I mean, she 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 actually believes she can do it the the traditional way to begin with, isn't she? She has hope there. She has hope, but then but she's then and she ends up just like, like getting Greg to sort it out and like throw money at it. I love I love how Greg sorts it out. He's like, don't worry, I got it. I love how this is the thing when I'm talking about speed running. We don't see any scene how he does it. He just said, don't worry, I got you the kid. Almost like it's some kind of like, look, I found this kid in the back of a truck. It almost feels like that. I guess you're supposed to believe that the people involved, she's involved with, are supposed to be so powerful money-wise that they can get anything they want. Yeah, because, you know, she's working for MGM and all these people and going like, hey, you know, you are a big time Hollywood lawyer. You can talk to that. You know, maybe you can get some of my producer people. I'm under contract with these people. Maybe they could pay a little something, something to get the pay. And so, yeah, so that's and that's when Christina comes in and you and then you, you get you get a very nice sort of scene. You know, she's holding a very tightly, although I'm not entirely sure she's holding her correctly, and almost like, I'll call you Christina. There's uh, Christina a wicked Darling. shot where she's, yeah. she first gets first gets given the baby, and she walks up, and she stands in uh, the top of the staircase, and there's a mm. window behind her. It's obviously, her home's, like, really beautiful, and there's, beautiful like a, there's a real, like, so it's like an Art Deco kind of, like, staircase. Yes. And she's, like, it's the perfect, like, poster shot, isn't it, really, with her with the baby, 
Uh, if you wanted to portray the poster in a in a nice way, you'd use mm. that image. Yeah, it's a beautiful shot. Mm. Like this is the thing as well. Like the movie is surprisingly well, you know, surprisingly well like choreographed, and and the cinematography is really really nice in some cases. Yeah. So it's like I said, it's not an ugly movie. So it's not like we're not going to call this a trash tape for being an ugly movie. This movie's pretty, and there's some very nice transitions as well. Like there's a shot where the like I love. There's one shot I remember very vividly. Like the like Joan Crawford's in the shower. And then right afterwards, it cuts from the shower directly into a fountain. And then you see them outside. It's like, oh, this is clever. Very good, very clever stuff. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it had to look, had some kind of like Hollywood look to it, didn't it? For it to yeah. kind of, um, so, so that they got, at least got that bit right. They definitely do. But um, I wanted to move on to, because after that, you kind of, you see a lot of like Christina when she's younger and it kind of focuses on that for a bit. And there's a lot of like sweet stuff going on. Like, she, you know, she gets a big party with like, uh, like a merry-go-round and all, all kind of things like and it's, that. And it's, and it's quite sweet because it's, uh, you know, they look very sweet and loving. And this is like the beginnings of their relationship. They've got the but same outfit then, on and everything. It's adorable. But there are a few little like mm, moments. Like you can see sort of like Jones getting a little annoyed. Not at her, but at people around her as well. Going like, mm, doing a little, mm, you know, stop, stop telling my daughter what to do, blah, blah, blah kind of vibe i know but um, i deliver I, I want to speed up to that when it starts to get competitive because i love <laughs> when they start getting competitive my next clip is uh, when uh, christina's still young at this point but it's yes. the swimming you know when she's swimming yes, i so, adore this scene so let's have a play of that and let's talk about that <laughs> you lost again it's not fair you're bigger than I am. It's not fair to win twice. Ah, but nobody ever said that life was fair, Tina. I'm bigger and I'm faster. I will always beat you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to play with you anymore. Ever. Oh, and then. You ever use that tone of voice with me, Missy. Uh, the reason why I love that clip... Do you remember mm. the? It reminded me and why it made me laugh, like the whole competitive thing when it that sort of age mm. when she was yeah. that age, Christina, is mm. uh, the fast show had a character called uh, Competitive Dad. Do you remember? Yes. Oh my I've, god! It and did. I have I have got a clip. It totally works with this. I'll, I'll play that. Go for it. Right, come on, Toby. You'll go quick, quick. Ah, four. No, I'll do it. One, two, three, four. Hmm. <laughs> Mayfair. My property, my hotel. That'll be £2,000, please, young man. I've only got £300 left. Well, I'm sorry about that, but you must pay the fee demanded. £2,000, please. He's only got £300, love. I'd rather you didn't interrupt, dear. He must learn the value of money. Now, can you take a note, please? Jot this down. At 7.41 on the 24th of October... Don't worry about the year. Toby Johnstone... <laughs> could not pay the sum of £2,000 after landing on his father's property. Now, I shall be taking out of your pocket money, and, of course, I'll be charging interest at the current rate. So that sums that the whole thing up. But that's why it made me laugh, because that whole competitive nature, like an adult mm. against a child, like, yeah. like thrashing her at swimming and stuff like that, is <laughs> it reminded me of Competitive Dad in the past show. It's, it's ludicrous to like, have it portrayed that way. That's what it's, it's, it's hilarious. It's, and it's the, this is the thing. It starts to seed off. Like, this is pretty obvious to me. I can kind of already tell why 
why Joan Crawford's doing this is because it's clear that Joan Crawford has always been competitive anyway, right? Mm. And Joan Crawford is trying to almost prove, I guess, through this, that, um, that you know, like, life isn't fair, so I'm going to make things slightly unfair for you so you can be a strong, independent woman like me. But she does this completely the wrong way. Like, she, it is true. She is doing this completely unfairly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so extreme. It's such an extreme jump. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My, my next clip is... It's good. It's a good segue, actually, because you were talking about extreme. I've got a clip of the cutting of Tina's hair, which is pretty like. (laughs) It's It's so cringe. I'm so grateful to you all, my wonderful fans, who have made me a star. Mommy. What do you think you're doing? Nothing, Mommy. I was just, just playing. What do you mean, playing? Pulling through my things? Making fun of me? I wasn't making fun of you. I was just trying to... I was acting. Play acting. You're always doing. Look at yourself. Ow! What have you done to you? Tina, what have you put on me? What have you done to the damn thing? I'm sorry. Ow! It was just setting motion. Oh, Mom, ow! What are you doing? Don't you tell me what I'm doing. Don't tell me. Don't you? I know you look awful. <laughs> you be quiet. You're always rummaging through my drawers, trying to find a way to make people look at you. Why are you always looking at yourself in the mirror? Why are you doing that? Tell me. You sit still now. This ought to teach you. You're I'd rather you go bald to school than looking like a tramp. Every time um, Christina is like play acting, pretending mm-hmm. to be a mother. I think it's yeah. actually because she secretly, in a way, kind of idolizes her, and she's kind of in 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 her mother 
sees that as mm. making she's making everything that people are making fun of her behind her back doesn't she even her daughter and it's quite yeah. sad when it's, she she sees sees her doing that and punishes her for basically just trying to be like her mother you know I mean, I think in a secret way, not just being her mother, it's the idea that, you know, she, I think to a degree, she struggles, I think, with um, uh, maybe accepting the fact that her daughter might become an actress and maybe become a better actress because there are loads of moments where she's starting to do acting. It's like, I'm play acting just like you do, mum. And, you know, you know, it's in in a, in a sense that's supposed to be quite sweet. It's the idea of going, oh, she wants to be like me. Yeah. But instead, Joan sees her as a threat. You're not like me. You and bitch. I know it's and it's so extreme because she sees it as a threat at that age when Christine is so young and she's playing with her dolls. She's five or something. Are you thinking, woman? This she is no threat to you. Calm your tits. Basically, um, because before then, just before then, she gets some very good news. She's, she's got the good news. She basically gets the part for Mildred Pierce, right? So she gets the part, the big part that, you know, this is going to, this eventually gets her the Oscar, right? This is her big part, right? Mm. Um, so it's actually quite nice to see her. She gets all excited. Like, I got the part. She's hugging the maid. She's running around. She's like, I got to tell Christina in a good mood. When she is not in her room and she goes and finds her in her room, in like in, in her mum's room, basically, like there, there she is in her in, in the bedroom, being this actress thing, instead of being like, oh, that's really sweet. I'm really good news and you're doing that. It's goes like, what's this bitch doing? Like literally, I've never seen her so antagonized. I know, and it's it's crazy how you get that flip because she should still be on a high. Yes, from getting that role, but yeah. immediately she has this schizophrenic flip, doesn't she? Mm. Uh, and that happens loads. My clips are, d- are deliberately schizophrenic at times. Like I've got like a a soft clip, and then I've got like a very angry, intense clip because that's how yeah. the movie flows. This leads to one of my uh, one of my favorite scenes. Is then this is I think this I'm not sure if it happens just a little bit before this or a little after. I'm not sure. There's a bit um, because of of all that. But there's several scenes that kind of make me feel mm, Jones being a little bit off with this um, and shows how surprisingly schizophrenic she can be or manipulative. So this one is when she has her meeting with uh, you know with the you know with the head of MGM. And they basically go and say, like, we're going to let you go, mm. right? We're going to let you go. And we're going to do this in the most pleasant way possible. I'm doing this because at the end of the day, I see you can do better somewhere else. You're not making us money. Basically saying, like, woman, you're old. You're not making us money. You are box office poison. But I feel you can do better somewhere else. So we're going to do this amicably. We are, I'm, we're going to pay you out the rest of the contract and go. And, and that scene, she's sort of like very sort of, you know, she's very poised trying, she's, she's, she's crying, but she's trying to keep her composure and say, will you walk me, should you walk me back to the car? Right. You know, you know, I am of course 
movie royalty after all. I know. It's interesting that she never loses it with him, does she? Even when she's never lost does. her job. She really, she's so desperate that she wants to cling mm. on to it that even when she's been told she's, you know, letting you go, she's still not going crazy. But then and, the scene right after this. You just, it cuts to, it dramatically to her chopping up the roses in her garden uh, aggressively. Angrily. And uh, yes. I've got, I've got a clip of that, of course, uh, of course. but I've got, it's almost like a little montage of it because it's like, it's quite a long scene. Yes. So first you'll hear her chopping and then you'll hear like sort of the bits interacting with the um, uh, maid with the and the kids. She sounds crazy, right? (laughs) Tina! Bring me the axe! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. So there's a quite a long sequence. The entire sequence it takes to like chop down this tree, like real time. Uh, oh, it's... And, but that's about actually a very long, intense, screamy scene. I've just got the gist of it there. But I love that because she basically then demands in the middle of the night, it's like three in the morning, the maid wakes up, demands the kids to help her fix the garden, which is basically she's gone on a literal insane flippity doodah. I don't know what this was. She should. I mean, I look, she might be emotionally upset, but that is, you need care. Someone needs to come over and take care of you at this point, right? Like, you, you don't let anyone, anyone that nuts go near any kind of sharp object. And she's just doing that. What's great, though, in that scene is the reaction of the kids and the, the, the maid. Yeah. Uh, because they're like... <laughs> faces are like oh shit i don't uh, they're like they're sort of like on t- like eggshells aren't they kind of like so, it's, 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 they've got it they've got to hand her the axe but they're just like doing it so slowly and delicately okay is she gonna gonna chop us up now i don't know it's scary it's kind of yeah. scary like it is scary especially like it seems like christina christina has a look on her face right christopher Bless him. He's still running around going, you know, doing his little cute little thing, trying to pick up all the branches with his own hands. Christina goes and gets a wheelbarrow, but she looks like a combination of things. One is like, mum's doing this weird thing again. Like, this isn't the first time she's done this. But when she says, like, Tina, turn me the axe. And you can see the look on her face is like, this is new. (laughs) I know. Well, what actually, what's sort of scary about that kind of situation is that when kids are in that kind of a crazy abusive situation, yes. stuff like that can be a normal day. That <laughs> you is can, terrifying. I know, but that's why I think it's good that the kids don't react in such a shocked kind of way because it is kind of a, a, a normal event for them. You know? Yeah, I, I feel like the gardening is definitely a thing. I think the axe is new, which is why I love her face is like, the axe? You've never asked for the axe before, mum? Mummy dearest, you never asked for the axe. <laughs> but not long after that, yeah. it gets to the whole like um, the waiting for the award results. Yes, of the, of the Oscars, and that's kind of a happy scene, isn't it? Let's play that. Play it. 
God, I hate this night! It turns every year into a crisis. I wish I did have pneumonia. I wish I was raging mad over the flu. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and a fever, so I wouldn't have to even Thanks, listen. <laughs> now, for the best female performance in a leading role, the nominees are Ingrid Bergman for The Bells of St. Mary's, John Crawford for Mildred Pierce. And this is the thing, like, Rear everyone's, Carson, like, at this point, like, on eggshells, but also, like, in a very Jane excitedly Perry, positive mood. Heaven. Yeah. And Jennifer Jones for Love Letters. You're gonna win. I know it. <laughs> May I have the envelope, The picture please? is a hit. Shh. And the winner is... Joan Crawford for Accepting for Joan Crawford is the director of... What's crazy is that's one of the most tense scenes, isn't it? Mm. Even though it's like a happy scene, is because it could go either way here. She could be win it, and they're all actually really confident that she's going to yeah. win. Like a, they're not just saying like, uh, you know, they're not just saying yeah, that to make Christina it happy. Even actually says like, I know you're going to win it, Mum. Like everyone seems to be very positive about it, right? And then you know she goes out afterwards when she wins. She goes and sees her. Fans, her, all the press outside of her house, because the whole point is she couldn't make it because she's got pneumonia, so she can't technically yeah. attend because she's sick, basically. So she couldn't be there for her own award ceremony, which you can imagine might have has annoyed her a little bit. But the fact that she's won it, she goes outside and says, "My fans, I have done this all for you, and you're the reason why I do all this stuff." Right. In a very sort of positive, kind of slightly campier way, I guess. Like she's going, she's throwing her arms up and going, thank you, everyone. <laughs> I know. And that, that's a real sort of high point, isn't it? Like a really happy point. She just won the award. But then literally, I think that like the next scene is the famous no, no wire hanger scene. We go in like pretty much after that high point. Yes. We go into this. No wire. Hangers! <laughs> What's wire hangers doing in this closet when I told you no wire hangers ever? Oh my god. It's intense. <laughs> Work till I'm half dead, and I hear people saying she's getting old. <laughs> what do I get? A daughter! Who cares as much about the beautiful dresses I give her? And she cares about me! Jesus Christ! What's wire hangers doing in this closet? <laughs> Jesus Christ! Answer me! Oh, she's... I buy you beautiful dresses! She has completely and transformed you treat here. you them like they're some dish You do! $300 dress on a wire hanger! We'll see how many you've got in your hidden here. Yeah, yeah, I also we'll have to see. remember there's a very funny we'll visual with this happening. Get out of that bed! Jesus Christ! All of this is coming out! Out! Please! She's completely destroyed the wardrobe. Out. I completely. Out. We're gonna see how many wire hangers you've got in your closet! Jesus Christ! <laughs> Oh, <laughs> my
it. Yeah. So and then she she just starts beating Christina now, with the white hanger. That's hot. It's horrible. It's horrible, right? But here's the thing as well. You also got to remember there's a visual with this. So Joan Crawford is just kind of wrapping up her beauty regime, right? She's just pop. She, so she has the face makeup. She's got like, you know, the face mask. She's got her hair like in a like in a particular bomb. She's got a weird thing where she wraps her head in bandages to keep her, I don't know, her chin in form. I have no idea. But she's got a beauty regime. So she's in full beauty mode, right? Uh, yeah, she's got like a, a white, greasy face and she's got like a face pack on or something. And it's like, it makes her face look very scary and pale. It's like. thick, right? Really mm. thick. And so she's just popping in to see the kids, right? She's popping into the kids, seeing how, she, seeing how she's done. She's kind of in a positive mood. And then she sees, out of everything, somehow one wire hanger. Now, here's the thing, right? Uh, hang on. I'll just, I'll just say... I don't think she is though, because uh, I've watched. I've, I, I don't think she's positive. I think she goes into the room already holding a wire hanger, so she's found one somewhere else in the house, and she's inspecting the house for more wire hangers. I'm pretty sure. And then she finds another one in the thing. So, she, but, <laughs> but she's almost like browsing through, like almost like hmm, but not like, like not like in an angry way. Almost like huh. And there's a, and apparently there's a genuine reason for this wire hanger information. Apparently, according to a documentary. According to sort of like a, a documentary uh, about Mummy Dearest and about Joan Crawford, the infamous no why he's come to be because Joan Crawford's mother apparently worked in a dry cleaners during a very difficult time in Joan Crawford's life and thus triggers bad memories because apparently Mummy, Mummy would also do this exact same thing to her. So basically, she basically, the, the, uh, her thought pattern is she lives in a house of absolute wonder and she has $300 dresses. Why are you doing it with, like, a poor man's hanger? Why are you hanging this with a poor man's hanger when you could do something so much better? So in a very sort of backwards way, she's saying, what do you think we are, poor? This is a $300 dress! I know. Well, it, I mean, it is technically true that wire hangers do ruin some clothes. but yeah, like but <laughs> this is such an overreaction. You I would know. just go and say... I'll just take the wire hanger away and I will put a new one in there and problem solved. I wouldn't destroy the entire wardrobe. I know. You'd think the movie would need a little context there, wouldn't you, to explain that we in need, a way. I think the movie's missing half of this context because we are speed running through her entire life without a moment to breathe. Because after this, and this is a thing, she goes. they go into the bathroom and say, like, have you cleaned? the bathroom today like like a literal full-blown crazy like, have you cleaned the bathroom drags her into the bathroom and says like look at this dust it's dirty do you call this clean and starts just fucking with like the powdered soap just fucking flipping it everywhere I know it literally just covers it, and the thing is as well that the, the the bathroom looks spotless. It, it looks does. really clean. It looks really clean already. <laughs> it's one of those like where there's tiling on the floor, tiling on the walls, and it's everything is gleaming before when and she's running around trying to find this dust that you can't actually see, you know, and yeah. uh, and then she makes she makes a mess to clean up. <laughs> oh God, it's backwards. It's backwards. This. Yeah, it just, it's just like there's just like uh, powdered soap or bleach or whatever it is, yeah. just everywhere, and uh, and she, she she exits and turns around to Christina and says like, uh, just 
clean up this mess. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> I oh, know, actually, and then uh, yeah, and then and then you get she goes how because like, it's such a fucking mess. You made this mess, woman, and then she goes over and says, "You figure it out." <laughs> but like, then, as her mother's left, he's got your favorite line, yeah, which I like an adult. What does she say? So basically, literally at one point, you know, Christopher Caesar's walks in and says, "I'll help clean up." He says, "Don't worry, no, no, don't do it. She'll kill him." So Christopher goes back to bed. Although apparently Crispin needs to be strapped down, which I don't know what that's all about. And that's not explained either, is it? I don't know about that either. She gets strapped down apparently. But then that's that's very disturbing imagery when you see the straps on him. Yeah. I'm confused by that. But then she has a moment where she just looks around herself, like just looks around as if she's just absorbed what just happened for the last five minutes. Turns left, turns right, looks up and just goes, Jesus Christ. I'm thinking, yes. I mean, look, I've seen this every time that scene happens. Whenever that line happens, Jesus Christ. I'm like, yeah, th- look, if any, if, if this was the first time you've ever watched that scene, you two would go like, yeah, Jesus Christ, what the fuck was that? It's almost like I expected to break the fourth wall and look like look nod at the audience. Like, when Jesus she says. Christ, am I right? <laughs> da, 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 da. It's amazing. And that's, it really is and this amazing. adds to the comedy to it because that was just, it's perfect timing for this fucking nonsense. Uh. But then you get another extreme back to nice again, nice and happy because the movie does this thing where it, it does this, this comedy within editing as well. Like, mm. you know, in like comedies where you get an extreme thing happen and then you get a really happy, like soft, like la 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 thing yeah. happening because in the next scene, you see them on a Christmas special. And I've got yes! a clip right Imagine like that intensity of the bathroom and the no wire hangers. Yeah. Then you cut to this. Would all of you like to say the last two lines? <laughs> My God. And I heard him exclaim as he drove out of sight, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. And good night to you, Miss Crawford. And thank you for allowing all of us to share your Christmas Eve. And thank you, George, and Merry Christmas to you and to all your listeners. And it's, it's, it's so sad because it's such a fake perception of happiness, isn't it, that's portrayed I mean, in that scene. I mean, it's a very creepy sweet... scene, actually, because, yeah. it, because it makes you think, like, you've, done, you've gone through that and then go to here, which makes you think two things. Is this scene, like... Uh, how manipulative is this scene? Uh, is it, it has Joan Crawford just manipulated her kids to go and say, "Go along with this now." You saw what I did with wire hangers. You go along with this Christmas special, and you tell and you show the world that we're a happy family. Damn it! It's like well, that. she's she's pretty much almost when when the kids are talking, she's almost mouthing their words like she's you know, f- you know feeding them their words. Like. It shows how much of a control freak to a degree Joan Crawford might have been, or at least Mm. what this version of this movie is showing, like she is in control. She wants to control everything. Like one of the first early scenes of showing of control is like, is, is, is when it was Christina's birthday party, the very early on in the movie and goes and says like, is like, and she's like, Oh, I love this doll so much. She says, is that your favorite toy? Yes, it is. Well, then that means that's the only one you keep. We're going to give the rest of them to charity. And it doesn't mm. look like doesn't look like Christina agreed to this, basically. She's just like, we're doing this because this is how I do my charity work. And this is why everyone loves me, because I give away presents and do charity work. You should do the same. 
I know, and it, it's so sad because it would be great if that was because she wanted to, you know, to give to charity, but now it's because of the whole perception. She wants to be perceived as being someone that's charitable, especially this version of her anyway. This like, version of her wants to say, like, everything's a look because she's always talking about we have a view, we have a vision. This is how people like us need to look. We need to look like we need to look high glamour. We need to look this young. We need to look this pretty. We need to look this charitable. And so that Christmas scene pretty much sums up the sort of the fake persona that this family is going through. Soon after that, though, she grows. After that, though, she kind of, kind of, she kind of, she kind of starts not growing up, but she gets a little bit. Things speed up a little bit because by that point, a few years sort of later on, obviously by this point, uh, we no longer have Greg. Greg has been kind of shifted off somewhere. Like you know, boom, there he goes. No longer lawyer. We get a new sort of hunky stud come in. Oh boy, his new hunky stud, in. and apparently Christina knows how to make drinks. Apparently, <laughs> it's like three quarters vodka or like scotch. Yeah, and then just a like, little bit of ice. Scotch. It's like no, but this is what this is the drink I make to all my uncles. Like, excuse me, <laughs> it's nothing but scotch. Um, and it- and uh, that that's actually a really creepy scene actually because um, Christina is almost like uh, acting like a woman. Mm-hmm. In that scene, when she's a kid, it's it's strange. She's like almost like acting like a a waitress, isn't she? Like a, yeah, and a, a scary waitress that tries to like make everyone drunk. It's like it's weird. It's very weird because this then leads to a bit where, as you know, Joan, as Joan and Mister Hunky is sort of making out and doing things on the sofa, Christina gets the. I don't know whether purposely or not, whether to be polite or to stand out or whatever. I don't get the scene that much, but she goes and makes another vodka drink to refill for mummy, basically. And it's like, mummy, I got you a bit of drink here, you know, for you. Right in the middle of making out, kind of ruining her flow and kind of ruining the vibe that's happening here a little bit. Almost outshining her a little bit here. I know, and I get the fact that I, I think what she... It's almost like she wants her mother to make a fool out of herself. So she's deliberately making her mother drunk. Yes. So like, she'll make a fool out of herself like, later on. And then then she'll... Because this is another part of their feud, isn't it? Their, their battle. <laughs> like, she she will then have won them because, haha, I've made you look silly. Yeah, basically, like, I made you look silly. I made you look like a drunk for our new uncle, basically. Yeah. Right? Which, which the uncle says, like, you've got quite a lady here, you know? And then literally, the next shot... Christina's going to boarding school. And it's just like, Jesus Christ. I know. What I found interesting was um, she, you'd think she'd be like eager to get away in a way because like mm. she's, she's not having a great time at home, is she? I suppose, but people, kids get used to a certain, like get used to home regardless of how it is, mm. I suppose. But she she's just crying. She doesn't want to go there. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was quite surprised. I'd be like, I thought I should be like, well, see you later then. But it's, it's what, a bit of peace and quiet. I guess so. But also to a point, I think the reason why she didn't want to go is because she knows she's being punished for this. This yeah. is a punishment. She knows she's, she's like, no, you're not going to come and live in my home and with all my luxuries and all this stuff because of that basically. Um, Mm. And there's loads of moments of feuding. Like we missed a scene, which is the famous raw steak scene. Christina, you haven't touched your lunch. It's raw. It's rare. 
not raw. But it's got all this red juice when I push on it. Then don't push on it. Darling, rare meat is good for you. The doctor said so. Christina, meat loses its vitamins if it's overcooked. But I've had my vitamins this morning. Pills. She negotiates everything like a goddamn Hollywood agent. Christina, eat your lunch. You are not getting up from this table until you have finished that meat. Yeah, that's that's a, quite an interesting one because she it's she's like pretty much starves Tina, isn't she? She mm. like because uh, she she doesn't want this meat, so she says, "Well, I'll put it put it in the fridge then, mm-hmm. and you, you can you can you can have it later." Yeah. Um, but then she, there's this big standoff, isn't there? So she's, she's not eating it. Yeah. And, uh, then the next day it's like, it's there in front of her at the breakfast table, isn't it? She's like, eat it. Of, like eat it. I know. And, and a- you can see Christina under her eyes. She's look, like got like black under her eyes. Like she's, she's really sort of looking unwell. Yeah. A little bit. Because here's the thing though. Uh, Joan is basically forcing her to have, Basically, not even rare steak. It's raw. Like there's a difference between rare steak and raw. This is raw there's steak. Blood coming out of it, basically. Yeah, but like rare steak has a bit of blood in it. Yes, it does. But it's still cooked to a degree. Mm. This is just raw meat, right? Because, and I quote, um, you know, Joan Crawford thinks like you're not you you need you need to have this to have your vitamins and your irons. Like that's bollocks. That's an absolute lie. Um, so she just basically stands up for herself it's like no i'm not going to eat the steak this is not what i like could you cook it mm. better please don't force me to eat something i don't like right and then all this is time it's like it's one upmanship it's like you're gonna you're gonna it's like, it's like you're gonna take this to your bedroom and you're gonna eat it and you're gonna leave that and then when joan crawford sees it there puts it into the get gets it there puts it over there again it's like you're trying to prove a point basically and it's like you're not gonna you're not gonna win me because the whole argument is like no matter what you do I'm going to win. I am bigger and faster than you. Da, 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 da. Which then leads to, yeah. oh, you, you you try and outshine me. I'm going to put you in boarding school. If you're going to do this, I'm going to put you. If you try and outdo me later on, this is once you outdo me, I'm going to put you in a. I'm going to put you in a nunnery. That's a thing. You're like Jesus Christ! Stop! Stop it! <laughs> And Christina, so she gets caught fooling around with a boy, didn't she, in boarding school? She does. And that's immediately just like is what gets her... What, it doesn't even get her chucked out. Basically, uh, Joan pulls her out of school. And I've got a clip yes. uh, of, of that exchange in the office. Mm. How could this happen? How could you humiliate me this way? I'm ashamed to be your mother. And you, how could you let this happen? Both students have been put on probation and will have no privileges for a month. Probation. This is appalling. I have devoted myself to making Christina a proper young lady. That boy should be expelled. Now, Miss Crawford, when this sort of thing has happened before, we've- Before? Mm. This is an institution of learning or a teenage brothel. (laughs) Chadwick has an impeccable reputation. And when students break the rules, we curtail their freedom. Well, we are leaving here right now. 
Obviously, she cannot be controlled in this environment. Uh-huh. Nothing really controlled. happened between your daughter and the young man. It was innocent. No thanks to you. I love this line. I think you're overreacting, Miss Crawford. And I think you're underreacting, Mrs. Chadwick. <laughs> I love that. I think you're overreacting, My Jill. compliments to your school on its impeccable reputation. Christina, come on. <sighs> Yeah, that's the audience talking at that point. I think you're overreacting. I, I, I love it. It's like, overacting. I, it's like, it's like, I think you're overacting here. And I just, I just love the line. I love, I love it as well. I think you're underreacting. It's like, oh my God. It's fantastic. So basically, she's. this is the thing now. Christina's now pretty much a... I wouldn't say a full-grown woman, but she's become a woman. Like she's become a, she's now in her mid to late teens, right? She's also doing a bit of acting. She gets dragged out of the school for quite literally you know, playing around with a boy. First time, not even getting anywhere, just innocent snuggles and a bit of kissing, maybe getting to some panty action, but never getting fully until she gets squealed by clearly the other girl who likes him kind of thing, which is, there's one line, which is really, really funny, where basically like they're playing around a little bit, like just before they're playing around, like in the theater and the boy's just like jokingly, like playing with a scarf with her. So look at you, movie star, blah, blah, blah. And she, and Christine's like, stop it. And the girl is literally in between looking at it, which I think maybe it's like a boy girlfriend or a crush going like, yeah, seriously, stop it. <laughs> like It's like, dude, you're getting scolded by this girl here who eventually rats on them. And this is what happens, basically. The woman scorned, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and it's quite sad because obviously Christina, you know, she she said before they start making out or everything, like she she says like, "Well, are you going out with that? Uh, what's the name?" And yeah. she goes, "Nah, we're just friends." Yeah, yeah, basically, <laughs> she tries like to do the right thing, like, but then obviously the boys being boys just says, "No, nah, we're just friends. Let, let, let's get it on." Uh-huh. And then they just play around a little bit, but she gets dragged out. She gets she gets pulled out. But this is the thing. At the same time, they're literally driving back at the same day. Said, look, I have a very big reporter coming in, doing me a front piece about this. Okay, so this is a very th- important thing to me. Do not embarrass me. And then Barbara's about. Barbara, please. <laughs> Barbara, please. And, oh, God, this whole sequence is magnificent. It's my, it's my favorite scene. Really? Before we get to that, though, I've yeah. got a clip as well. I love, you know, because you haven't talked about Pepsi Man, really. Oh, it's, it's Pepsi a, Man. There's a small bit where she's with with, with the uh, the sort of managing director of Pepsi Cola. It's like she's married to him for a bit. Yeah. And uh, there's a, but I, I haven't got any clips of him, but what I love is he, like, just gets killed off screen pretty much. I love this. And <laughs> I love the, the board meeting. Yeah. Uh, that she has with the the Pepsi people. It is. Uh, I love amazing. her line. It reminds me so much of RuPaul. Actually, it's very, <laughs> it's very like sassy woman. It is amazing. Let's, let, let's listen to this. Go on. Don't fuck with me, fellas. <laughs> this ain't my first time at the rodeo. You forget the press I delivered to Pepsi was my power. I can use it any way I want. I love it. It's a sword. Cuts both ways. So sassy. <laughs> <clears throat> I love it. One's like, oh. <laughs> the board has failed to realize the extent of your interest in the company, apart from Mel's position. Mm-hmm. We, uh... <laughs> I love how it was like on sheepish. like, um, uh, we'll, uh, we shall be, we're sorry. <laughs> pleased to have you stay on. 
Lots of eye movement here, by the way. Lots of like Thank you, raised Jim. eyebrows. Now let's get to work. It's a proper boss bitch moment, it isn't is it? It's such <laughs> a boss bitch moment. And it's also the fact you have to understand that in this performance, Faye Dunaway is all face. She is doing mm. big eyes, big eyebrows. At one point, she even gets so mad, she crosses her eyebrow, her eyes at one point, which apparently is something. Is I'm going to throw a little factoid here. All of the shouting she has done, Especially during the famous wirehanger scene, right? Faye Dunaway actually mentions the fact that she had such a huge sort of thing that she's actually went completely hoarse doing this movie several times. And she had to go away for a while to get her voice checked. This is yeah. going for method. Apparently, um, this is this is rumor, she had a vocal specialist. Do you know who the vocal specialist apparently was? No. Frank Sinatra. Wow. So apparently, Gordon say, Frankie, my darling, I've lost my voice. Tell me how to get my voice back, Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Thing is, though, Frank Sinatra was just a crooner. He didn't do any like big notes. He just kind of like almost talked. You know, right? But you know what? It's just the idea of having Frank Sinatra as your vocal expert. <laughs> and, you know, I just imagine like all the phones like, please. Frankie, darling, you need to help me. It's like, oh, it's, it's Faye again. It's Faye Dunaway again. <laughs> God, God. There's only about five minutes of Pepsi Man who gets married, builds, gets married, builds an apartment. They have a little bit of an argument about the apartment, which seems like, you know, again, it's like, we need to build a standard. And then literally right after that, it's like, we will figure it out. Don't worry. I love you. Boom. He's dead and we're in the boardroom. Like, so I mean, fucking quick. He does actually seem like a good kind of fit for her because she he does actually stand up to her and, and t- tells her off for spending so much money. Like, there's got yeah. to be a limit of how much you're spending. I think what like, they're actually implying mm. is that she gave him a heart attack because he could, couldn't cope anymore, you know? There's That's a, what they're probably apply, implying. There's also another part as well, basically, that he actually helps uh, Christina, you know, with a bit of money and saying, like, look, let uh, look, your mother might not want to help you, but I want to help you because I'm actually nice. Like, I don't do the tough love thing. I believe I should be giving that. So gives the money to her and says, look, here's like a hundred, a couple of hundreds here, you know, help yourself. Especially when, I mean, Christina's like pleading. She's almost broke at that point and still not getting any handouts. from. I know. Like she, at this point, she's become like adult and she's a full actress. And, she, but she's still finding work, you know, she's living it tough. She's living it tough and she's asking her famous actress mother to give her a couple of bucks. And mummy says, not a fucking cent. (laughs) Fucking tough love right there. So let's move on to the uh, bit you were going to talk about. Oh, my favourite scene. It's my favourite scene. She got the the reporter there writing a piece on her. Barbara. Uh, yeah, Barbara in the in the other room, mm-hmm. and um, Christina like says something a little bit out of turn, like that was a lie kind of yeah, thing about basically. getting kicked out of. Yeah, she she was expelled from boarding school. That was a lie. And, uh, yes, go, go into the other room. Go into the room. So she goes uh, off into the room, and like and um, 
uh, Joan goes over to like to, to talk to her at the bar, and they have this full on like fight almost in yes. in the next room with the in the reporter's earshot. So Christina asks her the, the, this bold question of like, "Why did you adopt me?" Yes, big, and, uh, big scene, big scene. And then she she goes off on one, and this is actually a soundbite for our like trashometer. Yeah, uh, we use like, we use this bit for torture. So let's play it. I don't ask much from you, girl. Why can't you give me the respect that I'm entitled to? My God. Why can't you treat me? (laughs) (laughs) Earning as well at this point. Treated by any stranger on the street. (laughs) Because I am not one of your fans. (laughs) And then... Body slam! <laughs> so fucking body slams her! He's joking! Joking and banging her head onto the table, onto the floor at this point. Jesus Christ! It is genuinely horrendous, right? It's so funny because it's so intense. It reminds me of wrestling, like WWE. It's proper WWE wrestling. At this point, she goes... She hulks out at this point. Literally, like, the Hulk. So that bit, that on the last bit, that clip, where she goes... Like that, it's a shot where she's kind of... right, right. She's rising up from... She's, like, on top of Christina. She's kind of like rising up and she almost like like earlier i was saying it almost like she's like charging up for a special move like she kind of she goes like, it's like she's gonna do a fireball or she's something she's about to do some kind of fatality it's really that level of insane now here's the thing apparently she this scene was scary for some, for everyone involved because apparently again faye dunaway being so method at this point uh, you know, people p- people were genuinely scared that she was actually going to like physically hurt her, and pretty much almost does because at some point, like everyone around her, she's basically going a little bit too forcefully on the on the choke, a little too forcefully on the banging of the head thing, a little a little too much. And at one point, when she's pulling and being pulled off by everyone, like Barbara and the maid, at one point, hits hits one of them in the chest and makes them completely winded. It's in the movie. So literally just goes, ha, that little bit there, (laughs) literally nearly knocked a bitch out. Um, I mean, it looks like a real fight, doesn't it? Yeah. That's probably because it pretty much was. <laughs> it was, because literally saying, like, quote, apparently it was claimed that uh, Dunaway went completely out of control when filming the scene when Joan attacks Christina in front of the reporter. And Carol Ann, who basically, Carol Ann, who's the maid, gets, gets a pull off her. She gets hit so hard and gets knocked over and gets knocked over several times, leaving her completely winded. And apparently everyone was, everyone was scared of basically saying, I think Faye Dunaway might murder someone. <laughs> In that scene, wow! It's Jesus Christ! It's a it's a wonderfully beautiful car crash. It is it's 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 insane how going from just very friendly with Barbara, 
starting to build up the intensity. Barbara, please. Barbara, please. And then just goes and literally body slams, literally body slams Christina through a glass table and then bounces her head on the ground, choking her to death. It is, it's the ultimate, well, that escalated quickly. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Obviously, Christina, at this point, almost feels a little bit like her performance as well. Like, she almost has to ham it up in the same way as Faye Dunaway is. Because, Mm. you know, because Faye Dunaway is going full mental. And so that's why all the shouting and the performances by everyone here is is very similar. Like, they're acting the same. It's like, I'm not one of your fans. It's the same way that Faye Dunaway was doing. And it's like, I can out-act you. I can outshout you. I'm, yeah, angry, grr, through a glass table. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like Tommy Lee Jones trying to compete with Jim Carrey in Batman Forever. Yes, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, look, you can't, there's, there's some people are just up here, right? They're like, <laughs> some people are up here and some people are way up there. Don't yeah. try. Like, don't try. It's going to hurt. And literally did because apparently, uh, you know, she apparently Christina had bruises after that scene. God, that could have literally ended an entire several people's careers at that point. Another bit I want to talk about is a little bit later on. Uh, we still like, they kind of seem like they're getting on again, like you know, she's she. she but the the feud is kind of like still there, the the, the rivalry. Yes. Uh, and I love the bit where Christina goes in the hospital for a bit. Yeah. And so she can't do her soap opera role. Yeah, because she's got she's got like a she's she's got she's got like a tumor. Like it's in it. She's got like a tumor yeah. basically. And uh, it, I th- I find it hilarious that um, Joan just fills in, <laughs> and uh, <sighs> and uh, her reaction to her like. Watching her mother on TV is great. Let's let's play that. Go for it. Your TV show's on. Don't you want to watch? You have to remember that Christina's like literally on a deathbed here. To see your mother. They just announced your mother is going to stand in for you until you're well. It's ridiculous. She can't. She actually can't. Character's only twenty-eight years old. <laughs> the character's only twenty-eight years old, and I love that. It's true because, and this is the thing: this actually happened. This actually happened. Yeah, it's like this is here is Joan Crawford, someone who is literally at this point in her late fifties, early sixties, trying to pass herself off as someone in their late twenties. And the thing is, there was no way of trying to write up, oh, this is, you know, the character's mother coming in or so, or a different character coming in to play the part. No, they're playing the same part. It is absolutely bonkers that the producers agreed to this. Apparently they did this for four episodes until they got some common sense because people said like, no one's watching this, this is fucking weird. So they just wrote the character off until Christina got better again, which is what you're supposed to have done in the first place. Jesus Christ. Oh, it's crazy. It's, 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 it's hilarious, though, because 
She, I mean, she's wearing a wig. She's doing the thing. She's acting just like Joan Crawford anyway. She's not even acting like the character. It's just Joan Crawford just being and, what, and what's hilarious is she's actually terrible as well. She can't remember the lines. It's even so though bad. they're right, they're on cue cards, for God's sake. Right, right in there. front of her. So I imagine that was pretty much... It, that, that could have been like she could have been awful you know that could have been true that kind of stuff because um, I, I wouldn't be surprised because she actually diminishes the idea of doing soap operas like it's not like the movies but it's good practice you know what i mean when you're realizing that actually it's pretty fucking hard doing a live action soap opera you know doing it live soap opera-ish having doing it live and doing do with very little takes and yeah no, and having to stick with it so yeah. it's ridiculous <laughs> And those, and basically, that's the whole. That's what you need to think about this movie, really. The movie is a, se- a series of bizarre sequences where happy things happen, <laughs> sad things happen, really silly things happen, and it's really hard to balance. And so, it is an absolute roller coaster. And so, with that, I think it's safe to say it's about time that we do the trashometer, shall we? Trashometer. Thank you. And if this is the first time you're listening to us, welcome. And thank you for joining us for Mummy Dearest. My God, this was a train wreck. And so we're going to, so we'd review things a little bit differently around here. We don't do like letter rankings, star rankings, or numbers or anything like that. We do something called a trashometer, where we basically try and balance out whether the movie we watched, we've enjoyed the right level of trash. Was it trashy? Was it too, too trashy? Was it not trashy enough? So we start off in various stages. There's five steps. There's, there is, first of all, there is tame. Tame basically means that we found it boring. Like, it wasn't really trashy at all. Not like in a fun way. And we're not angry at it. We're just kind of bored, basically. Then you've got tiny bit trashy. Tiny bit trashy means that there is some trash here to enjoy. But there could have been more there. It could have been more bits that we could have enjoyed, right? It's like, it could have gone a bit further. If it was a bit ballsy enough, it could have pushed some of the trash a bit more ahead. Then you've got it right in the middle it's the perfect balance of trash it's just perfect trash it's right in the middle it is quite literally the oscar winning performance of bad movies right where it's perfectly good amount of fun and bad then you've got too trashy too trashy means we're now there's there's more bad coming in and we're now getting more annoyed at it rather than enjoying ourselves now we can still enjoy ourselves in a too trashy movie but it might be more like we're getting annoyed at it then you've got torture which is what we use this clip from this is we used mummy dearest for that clip which it means that basically is it's torturous we hated everything about this per se even even if there were tiny glimmers of hope everything here was a horrible it was a slog to sit through it was torturous and so ed where would you put mummy dearest on the trashometer uh for me it's a very easy decision because i really Mm -hmm. enjoyed it uh, and it's yeah. like it, it ha- in terms of a bad movie it has the right balance of all what mm. I want to see so you know it, it's <clears throat> it's just perfect trash for me it's, it's, it it's smack trash. in the middle of the scale it's, there's, there's nothing wrong with it in terms of a trashy movie it's, it's great <laughs> And the thing is as well, like there are moments where you actually find that the movie's actually good. Mm. Like you're sitting going, this is actually really good at moments. Like there's some really heartfelt moments and so on. But it is the schizophrenic nature 
of everyone involved in this movie. The performances, the editing, the speed running through Joan Crawford's life, everything. It's just the right level of beautiful, trashy camp. There is a reason why this was called the Citizen Fucking Kane of, of Camp. And it is spot on. Yes, it had a horribly bizarre production history. Yes, people got hurt. Yes, Faye Dunaway's career could never recover from this movie. Yes, there's so much wrong with this, but it is such an amazing experience that if you've never seen it before, this will almost change your life. And if you've never seen anything, if you want a pure introduction of what camp can be, Mummy Dearest is totally it. Definitely. I mean, it reminded me as well of, like, when I was younger, I used to watch a lot of soap operas, and they can yes. be very gripping, and you are gripped to this like a soap opera. You know, you, you get, you get mm. like, involved with the melodrama, and you really get hooked mm. on it, and you're like, you, you are, it's, you've got the, you, you, you feel like you want the popcorn there, and you're kind of, with wide-eyed watching it, you're kind of glued to it, and then just purely entertained <laughs> by it. You you kind of want to like the thing with soap operas. You, we're good, good soap opera. I like the American ones, but I used to. My grandmother used to watch all the Spanish soap operas. We're talking mm. about the Mexican ones, you know, the novellas, and those were ridiculous and campy and over the top. It's like, oh my god, Fernando, you're sleeping with my brother, and all this kind of stuff. It's all ridiculously cheesy, over the top acting, people slapping people through tables, all that nonsense, and it is fun. My grandmother loved it. She's gripping. She's always said she, uh, when I was younger, she used to tell me like, now that guy there that guy's having an affair with this girl over here but that girl doesn't know about this one everyone's engrossed every character is ridiculous because they never really change with soap operas don't they rarely does a character change per episode unless they like go through a dramatic transformation or i don't know grow a mustache because they're evil or something (laughs) and um, you just have a really good time with it and this is what this movie is it is the soap opera experience in a two-hour movie with the the highest extreme levels of quirky acting you would ever see. Definitely. And so I think I can very happily say that Mummy Dearest is trash. It's got to be Perfect Trash. Very easy decision. Very easy. It's such an easy decision. And you know what's great about it is this is our second Pride Month special. And both of them have fallen under trash. Yeah. Um, and you got Xanadu for its own different reasons. And it's although it's very high on the trashometer there, because it's like it's just it could have gone into too trashy, but it's still trash. This though is spot on. Like, we've rarely had movies where we can just say, this is easy, it's trash. I know, it's there's no umming and ahhing about it. We were both just adamant it's definitely trash. It's yeah. definitely trash. And it's right in the middle. Mm. The only other movies that felt like right in the middle were things like Barbed Wire and The Room, for example, were like, this is perfect trash. It's in the middle, nothing can top mm. this, right? It's the perfect experience. We haven't had many perfectly perfect trash. We've had trash films, but not like like a unanimous decision it's in the middle it's the best time and so yeah that was and that's mummy dearest for us and that was an absolutely wonderful time and and on and on that bombshell uh until next time keep an eye on your trash there might be some treasure in there see you all next time see you later guys
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode and hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it around with movie lovers you know, maybe add a star rating or write a good review. All of this helps with the algorithm and provides us with more opportunities to reach the ears to a whole new bunch of bad film fanatics. Want to find out more about us? Then head over to our socials where we provide sneak peeks and up-to-date news on everything nostalgic and trashy. You can find our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages in the description. So please, follow us. See you next time, cinephiles. <laughs>